God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come to you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God, for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. The magnitude of the moment can't be overstated. History has just been split in two, before Jesus and after Jesus. Whatever you believe about him right now, there, you need to understand there was a time in history when a man walked on the earth who made the outrageous claim that he was the Son of God. You might say uh, many deluded people have made this claim, but you have to remember by eyewitness accounts, he backed that claim up with radical, turn-the-world-around teaching, challenging the very core of how we act and how we think and how we see others. And he said there's another way. He did what no, he did acts that no mortal man could do. He backed up his claim with a demonstration of power and miracles that left everyone around him standing in awe. And then he surrendered himself to capital punishment only to do the unheard of act of rising from the grave. You say, how can we know that? That act, again, is supported by the actions of eyewitness figures who themselves would choose to die to face capital punishment themselves rather than deny him. Backing up and claiming that he was the Son of God. His teaching revolutionizes every life that follows it, changing them from the inside out. 
His teaching washes our minds and cleanses us and makes us think in different ways and challenges us in different ways and, and, and challenges who we are at the very depth of our being. And that teaching gets into the very core of our being, changing our desires, giving hope to every person who puts their trust in him. Hope that doesn't come from circumstances, but hope that comes from the living presence of God inside of us. And his spirit dwells among us today to draw us to him, to reveal him to us, and to work in every area of our life when we allow him to come in. This man's name is Jesus. And listen, you have to decide what you're going to do with him. Can't ignore him. Ignoring him is a decision. You either choose to follow him as the son of God or you choose to believe that he isn't. The, the, the thing we need to understand is that every, there is a message in all the parts of Jesus' life. Jesus, born in a stable to a peasant woman, laid in a wooden feeding trough surrounded by animals from the lowliest of places that we can imagine. He would rise to the point that men would sing and worship him thousands of years later. Not simply talking about his great teaching, not simply talking about a great man, but literally worshiping him as their hope and as their Savior, seeking him to know him. Last week, we gave two challenges to help keep us on target for Christmas. For Christmas. The second, of that, the second part of that challenge was to those of you who are believers, challenging you to prepare yourself to share with those you influence how Jesus has changed your life. For truly this is one of the major evidences in our life that we have met Jesus as we get changed by him. I hope you've thought about that this week. I hope you thought about the people in your life, your children, your grandchildren, your friends, your, your moms, your dads, your aunts, your uncles, your brothers, your sisters. And you thought, how, how am I going to tell them? How do I want to tell, even the believers, how do I want to just state that? How do I want to look them in the eye and say to them, I just want to remind you at this Christmas season, this is what I was, and this is what Jesus has made me into being. I want to tell you, there's something powerful about our testimonies. God anoints our testimonies to do something mighty in people's lives. When you look at people who love you and that you love, and you look them square in the eye, and you tell them, this is what Jesus means to me. There is a spiritual component to that that God anoints and brings life in and speaks into the depth of their being. 
They may be a Christian already, and it strengthens their faith. They may be a follower of Christ, growing in Christ, and it helps them grow further. And they may be somebody who's far from Christ, and if you say it with a loving heart and a spirit about you, not about challenging them or getting in their face, but telling them about what God has done in your life, it brings about a change. See, this is part of the mistake that we make. We want to grab people and force them to change instead of simply telling them about the change that's happened in us and letting the Spirit of God do the rest. I want to encourage you today. Think about this. Take advantage of this season. Invite people to Christmas Eve, and before you get them here or after you leave, sit down with them and say, let me tell you what Jesus, how Jesus has changed me. Next week, next Sunday, I'm going to take a few minutes and talk to you about how Jesus has changed me and my hope in him. The first challenge, though, was to take time and to get alone and to think about Jesus. To, to separate yourself from everybody else, sit at the, the door of your bedroom or go down in your basement or get in the car and go for a drive. And think about what it means to you that Jesus is the Son of God. What does that really mean? To allow the Spirit of God to convict you. To allow the Spirit of God to reveal things to you. To allow the Spirit of God to teach you and to change you. And I would remind you this week, most of the really deep changes in our life happen one-on-one -on -one with God. They happen when we sit with, before God and just simply say, I want to live a life pleasing to you. Where am I doing okay and where am I falling short? I want to worship you and I want to bow before Christ the King. It's a one-on-one -on -one thing. What does Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, practically mean in our lives? How does it change us? How does it form us? How does it make us? How do my words get changed? My thoughts get changed? What does it mean that he's the son of God? God with us. There was a day in Jesus' life, we read about it in John chapter 4, when Jesus had heard, he was in, he was in one part of Israel, Judea, and he, he got the word that some of the leaders and some of the people there were going to try to kill him. And it wasn't his time yet, and so he told his disciples, he said, we've, we've got to leave here. We've got to go to, uh, to Galilee. We've got to get out of here right now. And, and so they began to, to, to do that. Now, you've got to understand that in between, geographically, in between Judea and Galilee was Samaria. Now, it wouldn't be as long for them. It's not as big a space for them, but this would be like us going from Illinois and saying we've got to get to Ohio. We could get there without going through Indiana, but it would be a lot longer trip. And that's kind of the position they were in. They could get from Judea to Galilee without going through Samaria, but it's a much longer trip. And so they decided they were going to go through Samaria. Now, the problem with that is this. The Samaritan and the Jews had a history, and it wasn't 
a good history. There was rejection on both sides of the aisle. Name-calling, accusations. It was bigoted. It was racist. It was harsh. It was a tough relationship. When Jesus told the story of a man being robbed and beaten and a good Samaritan being the good neighbor, he did that making the Samaritan the hero of the story to bring shock and to bring clarity to what he was saying to the Jewish people who were listening to him that the Samaritan was a good neighbor. So this isn't necessarily an easy trip. It was kind of a touchy trip. There was rejection there, and there wasn't going to be necessarily ease there. And as they're on their way through Samaria, Samaria they, they get hungry, and, and, and Jesus you know, sends the, his followers into town for some food, and he sat down by a, a well. What they didn't know is when Jesus sent them in for some food and he waited outside of town by the well, is that Jesus had an appointment. A woman was going to come by and Jesus was going to spend some time with her. The woman came thinking she was there to draw water, thinking she was there just to do her daily duty. But God was about to do something special in her life. The problem, though, was compounded not only by the fact that Jesus is a Jew and she's a Samaritan, but the problem is compounded in the fact that Jesus is a man and she's a woman, and in that culture of that day, for a man to, to talk to a woman privately uh, in a conversation that doesn't know each other was really culturally taboo. So all the, all the uh, facts, all of the circumstances about these two actually having a good experience together was lined up against them. And it's interesting to take note of how Jesus in that moment, how Jesus in that moment going against this, Jesus being on, on mission, how he begins to minister to her. He, he, he begins to minister to her, not by offering her something. He begins to minister to her by asking her for something. In fact, it's really almost a command. Give me a drink. She doesn't take it well. She looks at him and says, how can you, a Jew... Ask me, a Samaritan woman, for anything. He, she's pointing out, listen, you guys think you're better than us, and now you want me to do something for you? You're a man, and I'm a woman, and you're talking to me out here by this well? None of this is really right. What are you doing? And Jesus looks at her, and he, he begins to do something. He begins to do something that really is startling to her. He gets right down to it. He gets right down to this issue of what does it matter 
if Jesus, the babe born in a barn to a poor teenage girl laid in a manger, it gets right down to it. What if he really is the Son of God? And he answers her question with a promise that every one of us need to hear. Every one of us need to hear today. He looks at her and he says, if you knew who was talking to you, you would ask him for a drink. You would ask him for a drink. And he would give you living water. Just like so many who celebrate Christmas. She doesn't quite get it. He's just promised her something life-changing, eternity-changing. And she's still stuck in what's going on right around her. She looks at him and says, what are you talking about? You don't even have anything to draw water with. In other words, you don't have what it takes to meet your own needs, let alone what it takes to meet my need. Now, the gift of God, the difference that he makes. What you draw here, he tells her, will not simply satisfy you for a moment and then you'll be thirsty again. But the one who takes what I have to give will never be thirsty again. The water I give will become a spring of water welling up inside of you for eternal life, living water. She's talking about the temporal thirst of the flesh. And Jesus is talking about the deepest thirst of our hearts, the greatest needs of our life. Here's what it means when we discover that Jesus is the Son of God. The first thing that it means to us is this. When we begin to receive Jesus into our life and we ask him to come into our life, the first thing Jesus does is he begins to heal us. He begins to move in our life and heal our greatest need. This woman was a broken woman. Her life was condemned by others. It was condemned by her people for the way that she lived. It was condemned by the Jews. Her birth made her condemned by the Jews. Her status as a woman made her less important in society. She had lived and was living a messed up life. She was poor and rejected by her community and rejected of the world. This woman at the well at this moment had little worth on this earth. Jesus standing there talking to her, was born in the humblest of places to the poorest of people, and yet Jesus loved her and reached out to the broken and to the hopeless. He told this woman, if you ask, living water is yours. It's not just for the rich. It's not just for the famous. It's not just for those who, are, who live the right, right, right lifestyle. It's not just for those who have it all together. It's not just for those who do the right things. It's for anyone who asks for it. No matter what mess of a life you have, you can have living water. 
no matter how messed up life has become. For whatever reason, it's become messed up. This is the message of Jesus, God with us, the living God that we need to be on target with. If you ask, there is living water, and it can be yours. He immediately begins to restore us to the world. He uses our story to place us and to put us in a place of influence in the world. The woman went back into the city and she looked at the people there and she said, Come and hear a man who told me everything I've ever done. And that blew them away. The thought that somebody who didn't know her could actually identify her and all that she'd ever done was a great testimony of what this man was all about. See, Jesus, when he takes us and we realize who he is, he begins to, the Son of God begins to fill our life with purpose. There's a reason he created you. God has a purpose for your life that, that can be spoken into the heavenlies. Here is the king of kings lifting a woman out of obscurity and putting her story right in the middle of his book so that thousands of years later people would sit all across this world and hear her story of a broken woman, a sinful woman, a woman far from God and how she could have life and living water so that we could know we could have life and living water as well. Showing his love for all to know that he loves even the most broken among us. He loves you and he loves me. And then he does this really important thing. He talks about restoring us to God. That we can have living water. Think about it for a moment, the greatest, most satisfying moments in your life. There's truly things that we accomplish and that we do that give us a moment of satisfaction. And we can even look back on them fondly, but they're all fleeting. They're all for a moment, and then the circumstances of life take over. Jesus was talking about more than that. Jesus was talking about living water that springs up to eternal life, not from outside of us, not from the circumstances around us, but because the living God dwells in us. The Spirit-filled believer knows the satisfaction of the presence of God. When hurting, we go seek his presence. When, when in trouble, we go seek his presence. When in need of direction, we set ourselves aside and go seek his presence. When we feel alone, even in the midst of a crowd, we know what it is to go seek his presence. When we're walking through grief, we know where it is to go to get comfort. We go seek his presence. We know what it is to cry out to God and to sense him rising up within us as living water within springing forth to life in, in, inside of us. Once you taste and know that, there is nothing as satisfying as that living water. There's nothing that's great in our life than the presence of God moving in our spirit, giving us strength and direction. I'm talking about the most practical aspect 
of Jesus being the Son of God is that he is with us, his presence is with us, and he springs up inside of us as living water in the greatest hours of need in our life. He becomes our refuge and our strength because we can go to him and know him and the strength within us gives us the ability to face all things around us. He is the stronghold that we stand in, that our feet get planted firmly in, that instead of being shaken by the troubles of this world, walking in doubt and in fear, we find strength because his presence is alive within us. He is an ever-present help in trouble. Amen. But here lies the problem. For some of us, our spiritual ears, our spirit ears that would hear him, are deafened by the storms around us. We don't know how to plug into that. We don't know how to take that and let that be appropriate in our lives. Too many Christians simply don't hear his voice and simply don't go to the one where the living water comes from. There is a living water for our fears. Listen, there's a living water for your troubles. There's a living water for your grief, and there's a living water for your heartaches. Do you hear him? Do you sense him? Is that a real part of your life? Is the fact that Jesus is Son of God a real daily influence, that he is God with us, and that his Spirit is around us? And his spirit is within us. Is that a real active part of your life? Do you know how to hear him? Jesus shows us here. This wasn't going to be with this woman in the well. This wasn't going to be something that was going to happen with the crowd. For her, for us, Jesus waits by the well. Where our need is at. The thing that we have to have. And when we come looking for it, he's waiting there. To offer us something greater than what we thought the answer was. To offer us living water. Do you ever get get one-on-one with Jesus? Do you ever take that time? Do you ever set that time aside as we've been encouraging you to do the last few weeks and just say, you know what, today, today, I'm going to shut the door to everything else. I'm going to turn everything else off. And I'm going to go talk to Jesus and tell him how grateful I am for what he's done in my life already. I'm going to ask him to move in my life today. I'm going to bow before him as my king. I'm going to lift my hands to him, not because the song's right and I'm moved by the Spirit today, but because it is right and he is right. 
and I'm going to lift my hands to him and praise him. I'm going to do some things that if somebody doesn't know God looked in on here, they'd wonder what in the world was going on with me. But I believe in him. I believe he's real. I believe his voice is here for me. I want to walk in his presence. Do you ever take that time? Do you ever take the time to say, I'm going to begin down this path of understanding that God is with me and His Spirit is present. The Holy Spirit has come to lead me and to teach me in all truth. And so I'm going to take the time to know His Word and to go, into, and go in and to seek Him because He promises that if I seek Him, that those who seek Him will find Him. He'll reveal Himself to them. He'll move in their lives. And I'm going to listen I'm going to ask him, and I'm going to seek him day after day after day because I know there's living water there. This is a one-on-one experience, friends. We come in here and we get to worship God and have a corporate experience. That's certainly called for in the Word of God. We're certainly supposed to do that. There is strength in the corporate experience. But listen to me, too many people never have the one-on-one experience with him. You never have that, 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 that moment at the well where you sit with him and he begins to speak and reveal to you everything that you are. Tell, and to, that tells you everything about yourself to such clarity that you see it and maybe discover things about yourself you didn't know before. And he begins to give you living water to make you the person that he would have you to be. When you do get with him, He brings change in our life. See, Jesus died and rose again. He would leave this dimension and go to the Father, and he would send his Spirit to be with him. And to anyone who called upon him, a Samaritan woman, poor, having five husbands, now living with a man, not her husband. Even to that point, living water was available. Jesus, born to a teenage daughter, betrothed but not married, who would be accused of being born in sin throughout his life, delivered in a barn, was here to say to us, I love you. I care about you, and there is living water for you daily, moment by moment, in every hour of need, to give you strength and life for you and to anyone who asks that's what Jesus being the son of God means to us living water some of you have heard me tell the story of years ago I was uh, in Minneapolis just working with a group of guys we were doing youth conferences and, and we were doing one in Minneapolis and uh, at the end of the conference, we were at this hotel, and uh, we were, it was over. We were trying to get to the, to the airport, and they had a shuttle to take people out to the airport, and I needed to get on one of the first ones out because of my flight. And so I had gone downstairs and had gone outside and was waiting for the shuttle. I wanted to be the first in line. And, and as, I, as I was standing out there, you can see all the youth pastors who were there, probably a thousand youth pastors, probably two or three hundred in that room. There were over a thousand came to the conference, two or three hundred out in the lobby. And they were just 
out there and they were with friends and talking to each other and there was just, just a gr- big fellowship going on. And, I, and I'm just standing outside waiting for the shuttle because I've got to get to the airport. And as I'm waiting there, I look back in. It's, it's all glass out there and I, I look back in and, and I just happened to notice a man walking through the crowd. He had an overcoat on, his collar was up, his hat was down. And uh, it wasn't, you know, a day like today where you, that would really stand out to you. It, it, was, just, it was just different. I mean, it just, he just looked different. He didn't look like everybody else. He, it's one of these things, it, it just didn't fit in that scene. And I kind of noticed him, but I didn't think much of it. And uh, a few moments later, I looked back, and he was still working his way through the crowd. And he finally had gotten to the door, and nobody paid any attention to him. And... Uh, he began to walk, and about that time, a sedan pulled up, black sedan pulled up, right next to me. I mean, within about, about as far as from me to, you know, that, that, that music stand right there, pulled up. And a guy jumped out of the front seat and opened the back door. And, and I, I kind of looked at that, and I turned around. This time, the man is coming out of the door of the, of the hotel, and he's walking towards the sedan. Hat down, collar up. Just walked through 300 youth pastors. And as he walks through, I could reach out and grab him. He's that close. And I looked under the hat, and I realized it was Billy Graham. And as he started to walk by, I just said, uh, uh, you know, what do you say to Billy Graham? Just as I am, without one plea. I mean, what do, you, what do you say to him at that moment? You know, you, you, and I just looked at him as he walked by, and he wasn't looking at me. He was just heading for the sedan, and I just said, you're one of my heroes. And he stopped and came back, and we stood there and talked for about five or six minutes before he left. He was very gracious. Here's the point. He just walked through 300 youth pastors. Right through the middle of them. And, and they were so busy. Nothing, they weren't doing anything wrong. They were just so busy talking with each other. They didn't even notice that Billy Graham was walking by. I just happened to be outside by myself and kind of took note of it. Boy. I'm afraid a lot of us as Christians are that way. We're so busy talking with each other, maybe sharing our problems, our needs, and our hurts with each other, maybe sharing life and good things with each other, maybe celebrating with each other, maybe having a great Christmas season together with each other, that we forget. We miss the fact that Jesus is right there. All we have to do is say, I need you. I want you. Do your work in me. Oh, I know, I know. There's some of you sitting here today, and this is, whoo, pastor, really? You want me to get in my bedroom and talk to God? Yeah. You want me to cry out to him one-on-one? I don't know if I'm comfortable with that. 
Well, that's my job is to make you do things you're not comfortable with sometimes. To challenge you to take the step of faith. You say you love God. You say you believe in him. When the need's big enough, you'll call 100 people. You'll put it on Facebook and you'll text 100 people and say, pray for me. He's right there. He's walking by you. The one who can really answer your need is close at hand. You just haven't learned to reach out to him yet. And I want to tell you, if you do, you're going to find he wants to give you living water so that whatever you face in the future, you'll never thirst again because you'll know right where to go to get the strength and the answer for your day. This is what he means when he says to us that he is Emmanuel, God with us. If we'll just take the time to seek him and to know him. So here's my challenge for the week. Here's my challenge to you this week. Take time this week to simply seek the presence of God. Maybe life's going good and you don't have any big needs. That's okay. Thank God for that. Go before him and say, God, thank you. Having a good week. But I know it's better with you. Maybe you're going through the darkest hour of your life. Go lay it before him. Take the time. Tell him what he means to you. Ask him to fill you. And you'll discover the living water that only he offers. Oh, listen, I know. It may feel uncomfortable the first time you do it. Shutting that door, walking down that basement, you may be thinking, I don't know about this. But do you believe? When you do, and you reach out to him, he's not far from any of us. Amen? Let's stand together today and let's pray. I'll tell you, this week I had a, it was Thursday night, it was just before the kids program at the school, and what a great job they did uh, this, this last Thursday night. I'd stay at the church when they'd run home to do some things, and I had some work to do. The work's still undone. As I went in my office and shut the door, I just sensed the Spirit of the Lord say, just spend some time with me today. I got out an old hymn book and began to sing some of the old Christmas songs. Just me in my room. Isn't that weird? That's just weird. <laughs> I'm, just in the, I'm just in my office singing Christmas songs. And I would get to, you know, some of them have some really cheesy lines. Some of them, the, the theology is not the greatest. But every now and then, there is a line that is so revealing of who God is. And I would just stop at those lines and pray. And I'm telling you, God dropped a promise in my heart.
that was living water. I don't want you to miss that, friends. There is living water for you. There's living water for your need. There's living water for your hurt. Don't miss the living water. It's right there for you. Oh, it doesn't always come in the first 10 seconds you're in the room. You've got to wait on him sometimes. You've got to listen. You've got to open your Bible and go through the Psalms and say, okay, God, it says right here, your love is steadfast. I'm going to worship you that no matter how I feel today, your love is steadfast for me. That you are forever with me. You've got to take that word and breathe it, let it be breathed into your spirit. And when you do, the moment comes at just the right time that God breathes living water into you. I'm going to ask our prayer teams to come down the front today. Lord, as we pray right now and as we seek you, there's some in this room who need living water. Facing grief or sorrow or circumstances of life, and Lord, we're trying to answer it with the, <laughs> with the temporary water of this world and it'll never be answered there. Lord, the truth is we all need living water. Every one of us need your presence to really find the fullness of life. And so, Lord, I pray for this congregation. I know there's some who do what I'm talking about. They do it all the time. And, and there's others in here that, wow, this is really a... A radical step. I want to encourage them to it. Pray your spirit would speak to them and even now put a hunger in their heart to want to be in your presence, I pray. Father, you know every one of us in this room and you, you know better than we do our condition before you. Father, today in this room, there's, there's most likely people here today who need to ask your son to be their Lord and their Savior. To put their, their trust in him. To begin a new life of following after him. And Lord, I pray that that hunger and that desire would be in their heart in these next few moments. They would respond to that. In Jesus' name. There are others who just have issues in their life that need to be prayed for today, and I just pray you touch them in Jesus' name. We're going to close this service by asking you to do something, once again, that may be a little uncomfortable for some of you, but I, please, make sure nobody around you is missed. Just, just look at the person next to you in just a moment. Let me finish before you do this. I'll say go in just a second. Just look at the two or three people around you and just say, is there anything going on in your life that you really need somebody to pray with you about? Now, if you're standing here today and you say, you know what, I, I don't know that I'm, I'm a Christian. You've got something you need somebody to pray with you about. Maybe you're going through uh, trouble in life. You've got something you need somebody to pray with you about. Maybe your heart's just hurting over something. You've got something you need somebody to pray with you about. Just be honest. And if that person standing there with you says, yeah, I've got something I need to somebody to pray with me about, then ask them to come with you down here and 
come with them and pray with them in the prayer teams today. Oh, pastor, that really puts me on the spot. Yeah, it does. It's a good spot to be on. So, are you ready? Go. Talk to a couple people around you. And if they need prayer, come on down. Come on down right now. And Dan will dismiss you in a moment. Thank you for worshiping with us this morning. God bless you. Go in the joy of the Lord. Grayson.